doing a series um, called Set Free. As we come through the month of July, and July always reminds us, as we celebrate the 4th of July, it always reminds me of the heroes that we have who have served our country. There have been so many who have given their lives that we may be here free. And so I just want to say I am so grateful for the men and women who have given their lives. And we have a church full of people who have served and many who have sacrificed more than we could ever imagine. And I, as a church and as a pastor, want to say thank you to all those who've been a part of that. But I want to go a little bit deeper today because the reality as we talk about freedom is that there is something that lies within us that is not based upon where we live, but on what goes on on the inside of our life. We can be as free on the outside and have all the freedoms given to us, but if, our, if we're bound on the inside, we're not free. And the same can be true for those who live in countries that are oppressed, for those who are imprisoned. You can be in a place where there is no freedom and yet still be free. And so today I want to talk about this idea. We're going to continue this idea. What does it mean to be free? Because to be free means to be able that I can stick my head on my pillow at night with a clear conscience and I can take a deep breath knowing that all is well. To be free, it's to to stand before our God one day to know that I am not held accountable for that bad choices, those poor choices, those poor decisions, and to know that God has taken the consequences away and has paid the price for us. That's to be free. And so today I just, I, I just want to continue this idea. We, we've started this a couple weeks ago and we started with this idea that if we're going to be free, we need to have our creator forgive us and to set us free. We kind of moved into that next stage where we said that even though the, our creator has set us free, sometimes we carry so much baggage, we carry so much weight around in our lives, it's almost like our garage. I don't know, maybe your garage is not like mine, but my garage is kind of a little bit full. In fact, I had Rusty come to my house this last week, and I was kind of thankful my garage door was closed, so he didn't have to see in it. But we began to deal with this idea that even in our lives, if we're going to begin to be able to set free, one of the first steps we have to do is to, in a sense, close the garage door. We have to stop allowing more stuff to be dumped into our lives. We have to come to that place where we are no longer willing to stop and listen to lies that are told to us. We're not willing to listen to stuff that allows us to look at others in a way that is not right, that is against the way our creator has created them, or against ourselves that the way the creator has created us. And we began to say we need to close the garage door of our life. Last week we began to go a little bit farther though, and we said that to close the door alone, it's good to kind of stop that process, but we have to go farther. And we began to deal with this idea that if we're going to be set free, sometimes we have to hold ourselves accountable before others. We need other people in our lives to hold us accountable to say, hey, uh, you don't want to go there. No, no, you don't want to do that. Um, Let's not be saying that. Someone who can hold us accountable. And we began to say that sometimes that person may be our spouse. Maybe it's a best friend. 
Maybe it's a counselor. Maybe it's a support group. But we need someone in our lives who holds us accountable. Now, we're going to push this a little bit farther today, and we're going to just kind of keep pushing this needle back a little bit farther because to be set free is not simply about who we are internally to ourselves, but it's also about who we are when we get together with each other, when we become who, we're, who we were created to be. Uh, right now, I have two boys who are in the process of looking to purchase vehicles. All right. In the price range that, that they can afford, the vehicle selection is very limited. So if you've ever been car shopping lately and you go beyond a certain point, you know that your choices get very slim. And so I get a lot of questions asked about cars. You know, well, what does this mean? And what does that mean? And I've got to be honest, it goes way beyond my uh, knowledge base. As they say, it's a little bit out of my pay grade. (laughs) Um, What I know about cars, I learned as a kid helping my dad fix his. Now, things have moved on since I was a teenager, but growing up, my, my dad always had classic cars. Now, when I say classic cars, they're classic today, but at the time when I was growing up, they were dumps. I, I guess that's what we used to refer to them as. They were cars that could be bought really cheaply, put a lot of miles on, and you basically gave them away when you were done with them. Now, when you buy cars like that, they are constantly in a state of repair. There are several times when I've had help my dad pull a motor out, tear it apart, rebuild it, new rings, gaskets, bearings. I don't know. I I did not enjoy it. I hated it then. And I think I hate it even more now. But one of the things that I learned is that when you're rebuilding a motor, every part has a place and a purpose. So as you begin to tear off the rocker head covers, okay, so this begins to tell you what kind of era cars I used to work on with my dad. And you begin to pull the rockers off and you begin to pull the lifters out and the, oh, valve springs. And I tell you what, there are umpteen million little parts inside of a vehicle motor. Each one has a proper place. It has a proper purpose. And when it's all doing what it's supposed to be doing, your motor restarts when you're done. There have been a few times when we have got to the end of putting it all back together and there's a couple of little bolts left over. That's not a good feeling. Can I say this? If you do not get all the parts back in where they're supposed to be, you do not have a properly functioning motor. If your timing is off, if your distributor cap, if your wires are not on your distributor cap right, it just, I mean, it gets to be a mess. Every part on a motor has a place and it has a purpose. Now, if you are a car guy, You understand this feeling when you go up to a 69 Shelby Ford Mustang Cobra, okay, it's got to be one of the all-time classics. 
So if you're a car guy and you walk up to that thing, painted beautiful blue, nice white racing stripes on it, okay, and you have that thing and you lift that hood up and you have the owner start it and you can hear that thing come to life. It's a beautiful sound. It kind of purrs. I don't know, I don't know what a better way to describe it. It just kind of, I'm not sure if it's a purr or a growl or a rumble, but it sounds good if you're a car guy. And you sit there and you can admire it and you listen to it. And it just kind of, it's, it's a beautiful sound. But you don't have to be a car guy to appreciate that same thing. You know how I know? Because when you go out to your car and you put that little key in the ignition switch and you turn that key, what do you want to hear? You want to hear your motor turn over. There is nothing worse than when you put your key into the switch and you turn and nothing happens. There's this sinking feeling that goes, ugh, what is wrong with my car? You see, we all get to that place where we understand when everything is in its place and everything is working right, life is good, isn't it? When your motor is working in your car and everything is doing what it's supposed to be, whether you love motors or you don't love motors, you can appreciate the fact that when you're everything is doing what it's supposed to be doing, it gets you to the grocery store. It gets you down the street so that you can visit with your friends and family. You don't even think about it because everything is in its place and everything is doing what it is supposed to be doing. When we as a people, when we as individuals get together The Apostle Paul says we're almost like that motor. You see, a motor is only free, in a sense, when it's doing what it's supposed to be doing, isn't it? When you have a motor pulled out, sitting up on its stand, and it is not functioning and not doing what it's supposed to be doing, it is nothing more than a big boat anchor. I don't know how many motors that we have pulled out and haven't been able to get back running and my dad would have him sitting on the side hoping to figure out how to get it started again but he was able to find something else to replace it with because in the meantime he had to have a car going and you end up with just a big old hunk of metal sitting on the side of the garage with absolutely no value no purpose and it becomes basically worthless You see, a motor does what it does, and when it is doing what it does, it is free. When God created you, he created you with a place and a purpose. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that he began and he put us into a place, his body. And in his body, we have a place and we have a purpose. Now, Paul had to write to a church in Corinth, and and they began to really be struggling with this issue. The the Corinthian church was a church that, sort of unique, but not really all that unique. The Corinthian church was a church that had, it, it was in a place that was kind of, I guess you would say a bit of a wild west uh, not really. In fact, it was for its day, it was very civilized. But as we would look back on it today, it was a place where idol worship was rampant. Uh, there was all sorts of stuff that was wrapped up in it, and, and it 
it allowed this church to totally become messed up. And so as this church started, it began to have different groups. It began to have a little Jewish population who came into the church. And it had a little Gentile group. Now, when we talk about Gentile groups, we're not talking about one race or one nationality. The Gentile group was basically everyone who was not Jewish. Because Jesus was a Jew, the early church was seen to be, well, it was a Jewish offspring. And so you had Jews and everyone who were not Jews. And so they were Gentiles. But Corinth was a city of Rome or a city of the Roman Empire. And because of it, it had people of so many different nationalities, so many different races. And so as we came to the church in Corinth, it was not simply two races. It was the Jews and lots of different races. Now, that's not that big of a deal until you begin to realize every race and every culture has its own way of doing things. And the Jews distinctly had their own way of doing things and they did not appreciate and did not like the way other people did their things. And so to try to get together, it was causing this friction. Now, if that wasn't bad enough, the church in Corinth went farther because the way it had is that it had wealthy people and then it had poor people, and then it had slaves. Okay, it gets starting to get complicated. It had this idea, we kind of live in a, in a culture that we kind of consider ourselves to be classless. I mean, we have class, but you know, we're not, we don't have classes. There's, we do, but we don't like to admit to it. But in this day, you didn't just admit to it, you were proud of the class you were in. I am an upper class person and I live in a certain place and I have slaves. And I'm proud of how many slaves I can have. And then you may get down lower, you may be part of the Roman military and you had a different class for there. And each place, each class had its own place and its own culture and, it's, and it just got complicated. And so as the church began to get together, there was a lot of fighting, but a lot of other stuff wasn't really happening. You see, when all of a sudden we began to put these cultures together, who's who? You see, when Paul came through, Paul began to teach this idea that Jesus came and there was no class. He didn't look and say, I value you because you have money and I'll kind of consider you if I kind of get done saving these people. He came to say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It was a message of hope to everyone. Didn't matter who you were. Didn't matter whether you were old, whether you were young, whether you were rich, whether you were poor, whether you were male or whether you were female. Jesus came across the board to say, I love you and I gave my life for you. Well, that's a great message. But it creates a hot mess. Because all of a sudden in the church, you had masters who were giving their life to Jesus Christ, and then you had their slaves giving their life to Jesus Christ, and they were trying to come to church together. Well, that gets complicated. 
And so Paul began to deal with this idea and he began to say, hang on, we need to deal with this a little bit. And in fact, it's almost like he was dealing it with, we would a motor today saying every place, every part has a place and every part has a purpose. And so he begins to deal with it and he began to say, hang on, let's talk about this. When we come together as a church, who's more valuable? Does a slave have a right to talk to his master at church? Well, I don't know. I mean, and so he began to deal with it, and he reminds not just them, because the Corinthian church is not that unfamiliar. In fact, it is very familiar to most of us if we begin to really look around. And so he says this. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verses 12 through 13. Here's how he goes. He starts by saying this. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews. Some of us are Gentiles. Some of us are slaves, and some of us are free. But we have all been baptized into one body and by one spirit, and we all share that same spirit. So Paul tells us, all of us who have made a choice to follow Jesus Christ, we have been made into one complete body. In other words, there is something bigger than any of us. It becomes only something with all of us. And so Paul is sitting there saying, hey, just like a motor, where every part has a place and every part has a purpose, we're coming together and each and every person has a place and a part. That, that sounds kind of good, doesn't it? I mean, it, when we sit here and we look around and we say, yeah, okay, everyone has a place and everyone has a part, that sounds really good. But what do you begin to do when you look across the aisle and your slave is sitting right next to you over here? What place and what part does he have? You see, in the culture that they were coming from, it wasn't just the slaves. In fact, it was the women. They were seen to be subservient. In fact, they were viewed to be like children. In other words, when you got married in most of those Roman cultures, you actually became like a slave, like a child. You became the owner or, or your husband took over your ownership in a way. In most of that time, they were seen, in fact, there was a saying that said it was better to be a dog than to be a woman. When you look out across the aisle and you see women, you see slaves, and then you see people who really technically are your enemies. These are the people who took over your country. How do you come together? And Paul says, we come together because when we gave our life to Jesus Christ, we came into a new body. We got a new place and we have a new purpose. It is not based upon your financial standing. It's not based upon your education. 
It's not based upon your class that you're in. It's not based upon whether you're a male or female. In fact, he says this, when we came together, you became a part of him. And so as they're looking around and as the master's looking at his slave saying, okay, my slave has a part in the church. Yeah, okay. And as the slave is looking across at his master going, okay, my master has a part in the church. They could almost shake their head and they could say, okay, I can agree with that. But is that good enough? And Paul looks at us and he says, well, let's not stop there because we kind of understand that concept, but, but let's not kind of get it. Let's totally get it. And so he says, it's not good enough to say that everyone has a part. Because it's easy to look and say, okay, you can come to church. You can be a part. But it only, when we understand what does it mean when we have a part, do we begin to fully get a grasp to say, well, what does it mean to have a part? He continues. So let's just go ahead and continue on down to verses 14 to 17. And Paul continues with this idea. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. Well, we know that. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, does that not make it any less a part of the body? And if the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you see or hear? Or if your whole body was an ear, how would you smell anything? In other words, Paul is looking at us saying this, if you have a part, that means you have a purpose. When you tear down a motor, you realize very quickly every part has a purpose. Some parts are bigger and flashier when you tear apart a motor. When you pull the heads off, I mean, it's a big metal block thing, and it's got little bumps and stuff in where the piston, I mean, it's just, it's an impressive looking piece of equipment. At the same time, if you pull off a timing belt, it's not very impressive looking. It's just a belt. Yet, which one has more value? Well, that's a silly question because the one cannot function without the other. It's not which one has more value. It's how is each one doing its part? How is each one fulfilling its purpose. You see, it it gets so easy to look up and to see people with big purposes. You can see Craig and, and Christian and Kate and Andrea, Connor sitting up here on the stage and it's like they got a big part. Well, I can't do that. We're not necessarily called to do that. You see, when we know what our place is, when we know where we're at and what our purpose is, it's not about what we do, it's how we fulfill what we're called to be. You see, the Apostle Paul didn't understand motors, but he did understand the body. You got an eyeball? You need it. Because if you don't have an eyeball, you can't see anything. Now, seeing stuff is really important. But no matter how important it is to see stuff, you also want to be able to hear stuff. 
And so the eye cannot say to the ear, I don't need you because I'm, I can see. No, we say it's better to see and to hear. And then he says, but the ear doesn't look at it and go, hey, I'm an ear. I can hear everything that's going on. I, I don't need you. You kind of get off into weird places sometimes and lead me down the wrong path. I, I can hear. I can hear the special music that is played in, in church on Sunday morning. I don't need you. I, I can hear. I, I, can, I, can hear, I can hear my wife tell me how much she loves me. I can hear my husband whisper, hey, I love you. I don't need you, I, I can hear. He said, that's ridiculous. Because if we were an ear, we wouldn't be able to smell anything. Okay, you get the point. You see, when every part of our body does what it is supposed to do, we do amazing things. In fact, he goes on to say this. In fact, he goes on and he, he reminds us. And he says, look, if you pull a part out of its place, it becomes nothing more than a specimen. Now, you, you know what, it, you ever remember when you were in school? I was, I was gonna put one of these on the screen and then I got looking at them and it just got gross, okay? So I didn't do it. But remember when you were in high school and they pulled out the big specimen jars? And inside you could see, and if you were in high school, it might have been frogs or little baby piglets and everything. And it's kind of a little bit gross. I can remember looking at the old specimen jars and you see the brains sticking in the jars and you see the eyeballs and you look at them and you go, okay, that's gross. You see, it doesn't matter how good of looking of eyes you have. It doesn't matter how great your eyes can see. If you pull your eye out and you stick it in a jar, it may be an awesome eye, but it is no longer free. It becomes nothing more than a specimen. And that's what we become when we are not in a body doing what we're called to do. Now, when we fulfill our function, when we fulfill our purpose, we too are set free. When you know what you are called to be, when you know what you are doing, who you are, you're set free. Paul wants to be, he wants to help us understand, okay, he says, you might have gotten the point, but I don't want you just to maybe get the point. I'm gonna take this point, I'm gonna take this nail, and I'm gonna take my hammer, and I'm gonna drive it home so hard you cannot miss what I'm trying to tell you. And so he continues on, and he, for several more vo verses, he just kind of lays it out to us. And so here's how he goes. So just follow along with me, and uh, we'll see if we can get through it. There's a lot of verses, so we'll see where we go. And so he continues with this. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. I'm an eyeball. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem to be weakest and least important are actually the most important or the most necessary. You never think about your heart, do you, until you actually start having problems with it. In fact... 
It goes on in verse 23. He says this, and the parts we regard as less honorable, on those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. The Corinthian church is not the only church that struggled with this idea of its values and the purpose of its members. It is easy for all of us to see others as either more valuable or less valuable than who we are. Our purpose that we are called to is not based upon the size of our bank account. It's not based upon our gender. It's not based upon our skin color. It's not based upon the political party we marked on a card. Your purpose is based on the one who placed you in the body. Just like the motors that I helped my dad work on when I was younger, every part is needed. Every part is valuable. And outside of it being placed on the motor where it was supposed to be, it had no value. There is no purpose for a piston if there's not a cylinder or if there's not a, a cylinder sleeve. There's no place for a piston if there's not a block. There's no place for a block if there are no spark plugs. There's no place or there's no reason for spark plugs if there are no timing belts. There's no place for timing belts if there's no such things as oil slingers. And it just goes on and on and on. When we are fulfilling, when we are doing what we are called to be, we are set free. Sometimes there's a struggle to know exactly, though, what we are called to be. When you look around and you see others, you know exactly who they are, don't you? I mean, when you walk up to the front door and you see Dave, you don't even question it because he's right where he needs to be. He fulfills his purpose. And sometimes it's easy to walk up and say, okay, I see, I see Dave. I see Dave Wetmore and Kathy back there in the booth. I mean, they got a purpose. But what's my purpose? Where do I belong? What's my place? And that's a good question. And it's something I think we should all ask ourselves. What is our purpose? What is our place? Sometimes it's not that complicated to figure out. Sometimes it's not about being back in a sound booth. Sometimes it's not about being up on front of a stage. It's not being at the front door. Sometimes finding our purpose is simply about knowing my place. In other words, who am I with? 
If we look across the room, can we stop and say, I know the guy who sits on the other side of the aisle that is different than me? Do we look around and say, hey, not just that I know their name, but I know them. I care for them. I know what's going on in their life because I talk to them. Sometimes the way we find our purpose is simply to know our place. Hey, this is where I'm at. And these are the people beside me. When someone's going through a hard time, I know it. And I can put my arm around them. When someone just bought a new car, we jump up and down with them. When someone has a new grandchild, we can smile and enjoy that process as if it was our own. You see, the idea of finding your purpose is not about finding some great grand thing to do. It's simply about saying, where's my place? Where am I at? How do I fit into the life of someone else and encourage them as they turn around and encourage me? See, it's important that we learn to understand and get to know the person who maybe looks a little different than me, acts a little different than me, drinks their coffee a little different than me. It's important that we begin to allow God to help us to find our place and our purpose. Each week, I kind of give you three questions, three or four. So I'm gonna give you three more, just something to think about really kind of encourage you to stop and just take a moment. I, I don't come back usually. Not unless you come to Tuesday night do I occasionally ask you some of these questions again on Tuesday night. But otherwise, I've got three questions I want to ask you. Number one, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a part of a whole or, or something bigger? Or are you satisfied with just doing you? So how do you see yourself? When you, gave to yourself? when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, did you simply say, hey, I can see myself as being a part of something bigger or am I just satisfied with God came in and saved me? Question number two. Now, this is an easy one. How well do you know that guy across the aisle? When you look across the room, do you know their name? That's a good place to start. Or do you know them? So, one, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as simply a, as a part of something bigger than yourself? Or do you see yourself as simply happy on your own? Number two, if you were to look across the aisle, how well do you know that person across the aisle? Number three, and this one kind of gets us because if we're really honest, we don't really like this one, at least I don't. Would you allow God to use you if he chose to? Mm, I want to make that choice. And sometimes when we are doing what we're called to do, God puts us in a place that says, hey, I'm not really giving you a choice because you're a piston. You need to be moving up and down. 
as the spark plug goes off. Hey, you're a spark plug. You're supposed to be sending a little spark out every... Hey, did you, did you know your timing belt? You're to keep everything moving together in the same. This is who you're called to be. I've put you in a place where I need you to be this. If God wanted to use you, would you let him? If God gave you a purpose, he's given you a place. He's already given you a purpose. The question is, is would you allow him to use you if he chose to? Let's close our head in prayer. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, this is not one of those sermons that is supposed to be complicated. It's, in fact, it's very simple. It just stops and it reminds us that God has a place and a purpose for you. You are needed. You are valued. You weren't created just to consume oxygen. We were created to be a part of something bigger, to be a part of a body, a part of other people's lives. We become free when each of us are doing what we are called to do. Our lives begin to be let loose. We become like the motor that begins to drive down the road and is not stuck in the garage. So this morning, I just want to encourage you. If you're not sure what you're supposed to do, will you at least get to know the people that are around you? If you're not sure what you're supposed to do, would you at least just get to know those who are across the aisle? Even if they look different. Even if they drink their coffee in a weird way. Would you get to know them and be a part of their lives? Father, this morning, you call us to be a part of something that is bigger and that is better than us. Help us.